Today's podcast is sponsored by Alpha and Omega Ministries. What? They don't. They didn't sponsor us. Well, we can say it though. No, you we? can't say Why it. Not? Just because he's on it doesn't mean you can say it. He's kind of. It's kind of a sponsorship. No, right? it is not a sponsorship. He's done with everything we say. No, he is not. Okay, Wait. disclaimer. What? Even though Dr. James White is going to be on this episode, right? That does not mean he, Dr. White agrees with us, oh. nor does he affirm everything we Dang, have ever said. Dang, that's like you're afraid. You're afraid he's going to get mad. Well, I'm afraid because we say a lot of dumb things. Okay. All right. All right. So um, today's podcast is not sponsored by Alpha and Omega Ministries. Welcome to Doctrine and Devotion, a podcast exploring Christian faith and practice from a Reformed Baptist perspective. My name is Joe Thorne. I'm the lead pastor of Redeemer Fellowship in St. Charles, Illinois, also known as the best church in Illinois. <laughs> What's Jimmy up? Jimmy Fowler, elder candidate at Redeemer Fellowship, also known as one of the two best elder candidates at the best <laughs> church in <laughs> Illinois. <laughs> How you doing, man? I'm doing good. Doing good. Yeah. Week's, uh, week's almost over. Week is almost over. I'm excited for that. Going to relax. Um, I think Michelle's going out with, with some of the ladies from our church to hang out. Uh, so I've got so are we going to hang out? No, I'm going to take my but, kids out. But get a babysitter. We'll hang out. No. What am I going to get a baby? No. Go get a baby. We've got like, all these young kids at the church that can No, babysit. I'm going to take my kids out. They're all excited. And you take them out plenty. You could take me no, out. Well, you take Pat out. I take Pat out. I take my kids out. I take my wife out. Yeah, I'm going to take my kids out. They're uh, great. Right, so yeah, they've even asked me as soon as I said. spoil your kids. You should spoil me a little bit. I spoil you enough. No, you don't. I spoil you plenty. One example. In that cabinet, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you have you have come here bearing gifts. So I'm going to say thank you very much, and we can we can move on. Um, yeah, man, I'm looking forward to it. Like I think I think tomorrow night on Friday, I think Jen and I, if if we have time, uh, we're gonna we're gonna watch a movie in bed. We haven't done so. That hold before. on. So let me get this straight. What uh, you wanted me to get a babysitter? Yeah. For my kids right. to take you out tomorrow night, yeah, yeah, and yet you weren't even going to go with me tomorrow night. Oh no, I would. I would. I'd tell Jen we'd do it later. Got to have priorities, man. You got to have priorities. Oh, my <laughs> no, <God. laughs> no, no, no. I was just busting your chops. Right. No, you know what we're going to watch? Uh, yeah, I don't know. We're going to watch. You've got mail. You've got mail. Yeah, it's a good one, man. Wait a minute, is that that old one? That's well, not old. Yeah, yeah, from the nineties. Is yeah, that the one yeah, with Tom yeah, Hanks from the 90, late nineties? Yeah. That's a good one, mate. Tom Hanks. Is it on Ryan? Netflix? I don't know. I mean, is that because you're going to do like we're going to Netflix and chill, man? It's going to be good. All right. Um, so good weekend. We're looking forward to that. What? Stop. What's wrong with you? Stop. I was restraining. Oh, okay. Is this why? Is this why you said James wouldn't like? That's why I said James White oh, okay. does not sponsor right. us. <laughs> Listen, Doctor White. Bow. They have to lay aside the bow tie. James White is super cool. <laughs> Lay aside the bo- wait. Gotta, so what you're what you're saying then you're inferring yeah, that because right. that, that people that have bow ties are not cool. No, no, I'm saying bow ties are not cool. But James White is cool. I know maybe maybe you know bow ties can be cool, but you've you've got to wear it with like um, with like some kind of suit from the 1850s. No, I don't agree. I, I don't agree. That. No, Travel. Has worn a bow tie without a suit. Okay, and right. he looks but, good. But Travel's got style. That's it. So, so has, you can't say that because it's a bow tie is not cool. Our friends in Portland would say Travel has steez. He's got that steez. He's got that steez. I don't know what that means. But I don't I get it, but I think that. it's good. All right. So uh, James White got steez. He, he's got the bow tie. But what he's really he's, he like we really had a good connection. Mm-hmm. I can I can consider him a, a real friend. Um, you know, I meet people at conferences, and you know, and I've, I've talked to some guys, and I don't 
we don't necessarily hit it off like yeah. this. Yeah. And um, man, it was just, it was, it was a really good time. And I floated the idea of, you know, maybe doing an interview when I first met him. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe he was down, but I think he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, okay, sure, we'll yeah, get to that. Yeah, okay, little guy. And then what happened? Uh, then he fell in love with me as a brother in Christ. No, 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 that is not As what a brother happened. in Christ, he did. That is not what happened. You know what happened? What? Our listeners. Oh, Our that's listeners right, that's right. rallied around and bugged James White. <laughs> did he? I, and you, yeah, I was, no, texting, he I was it, yeah. texting with Joe. Has he noticed yet the onslaught of notifications from our listeners that have been trying to get this to happen? Oh, yeah. You guys wanted this bad. You guys were like, we got to get it because they all listen to yeah. the dividing line. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we're, uh, we're great. So, uh, James White and I sat down in my little uh new zealand hobbit hole it's it was a hobbit hole this this um which you would think would be plenty roomy for me but it was small for me little tiny hotel room it was like a prison cell i I took a video and sent it to my wife like it's really small but it was nice it was just there was no room there was no big desk and so we had to bring in another table and kind of sit in there it was it was really cramped but we had a good conversation awesome on apologetics and how it relates to evangelism and I think you guys are going to really like it. I had a good time. And Jimmy, you couldn't be there. Well, you, you refused to come. I did not refuse. You did. I said you could come. Okay, yeah. You said I could come, but yeah. there's no way I was going to be able to make that. You could make I'd it. I'd already been gone a few times. Oh, boo-hoo. Oh, boo-hoo. I was, I, I've been gone a few times. I've been gone more. Yeah, but I yeah. work part-time at the church. So you got to think about that. I can only go away half the time you do. Why? Because I'm part-time. I only work half the time you work. Yeah. So, I, think, I think you should have gone. No, I think I think, no I think you just didn't think it'd be cool, and now you regret it. Um, I mean, I reg- I, I, I regret. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Repent. I think it would have been a, a next year great time. We're going, next, next year we're going. We're going. Next time All right, we're going. Cool. We've already so, got the permission. Yep, we're gonna we're gonna do that. So uh, here is the interview uh, with Dr. James White on apologetics. So I'm finally getting a chance to talk to Dr. James White. Uh, we're at the. Ecclesiology and Mission Conference in Wellington, New Zealand. It is an Acts 29 conference that is uh, being hosted by GraceNet Church. And so it's, uh, it's Dr. White, it's Dr. Jim Renahan, and non-Dr. Me, all hanging out, <laughs> preaching the gospel. And it's been really fun. Yes. It, I mean, uh, it's fun, knowing you guys from afar, and, uh, or knowing about you guys from afar, you don't know what you're going to get when you sit at the table and are eating and you know, is James going to be super stiff and, uh, or is he going to be fun? You know, can we, can we have, no, James is, you have no heart. That's what we've learned. I have, that's true. You don't have a heart and you're very mean. <clears throat> uh, you lack grace. Unloving, unkind. Yeah. All that's what the, that's what Google says. <laughs> well, just trust Google. And any, any search will, will prove those facts to be true. Well, uh, so for anybody that doesn't know Dr. White, um, personally, uh, I just beginning to get to know him a little bit and uh james has been a lot of fun he's been challenging and encouraging but uh james likes to play so uh <laughs> we can we can bust chops and do all that stuff that normally happens when jimmy's in the room and uh it's been it's been a really good time it's been yeah, a pleasure uh to get to know you and to share uh the pulpit with you while we're here and the the panels have been fun too the, the folks have seemed to enjoy the interaction between us so it's been fun yeah you guys need to go and, and look for the video we'll have it linked up in the show notes uh go go to if you just want something quick and fun go to the panels panels are usually terrible our panels are fun and <laughs> and they're informative. We got scholars up there talking, and uh, we're also having a good time. So check those out. And, and then you're discussing head coverings. That's right. I that's mean, I'll very... bring up. You know, I'm not afraid to bring it up. I'll talk about politicians, <laughs> head coverings, uh, pot smoking, whatever. It all comes up when I'm up there. Um, so 
Dr. White, you are a, an, a, a professional apologist. That's pretty much, there aren't very many of us, but I guess that would be a, just a good descriptor. So how, how many apologists are there out there where this is their vocational calling? I, I, half a dozen, a dozen maybe. Wow. I, I mean, really, it's, uh, it's, it's not that popular of a thing. And certainly within reform circles, uh, the numbers are pretty small. Yeah. Very, very small. Well, um, and how long have you been an apologist, like vocationally? I know you've been doing this for a long time, but... Well, Alpha and Omega started small and still is small. So Alpha and Omega has been around for 30, 33 years, I think, wow. something along that line. So, but uh, I, I did my first debate in August of 1990 with Catholic Answers in uh, Huntington Beach. Or, or was it? Yeah, I think it was Huntington Beach, somewhere over in California. It's a long time ago now. And uh, that was 154 some odd debates ago. So wow. it's really been over the past 15 years or so, maybe 20, that we've really been super actively engaged. Up till then, we were going up to Salt Lake City, witnessing the Mormons, stuff yeah. like that. But on a national stage, and really, once the internet <clears throat> really started kicking in, uh, that's when we really started communicating with a lot of folks. Great. Um, and who, when you're, because you, know, you, I mean, I've watched your videos, uh, I've read some of your books, you're, um, you're, you seem to be ready to debate Anyone? I mean, theologically, no, I'm, no, I'm really is that focused. No, no I'm, I'm actually pr pretty focused. I mean, you've never heard me talk about Buddhism, Hinduism. I've tried to study both, and I cannot wrap my head around them. Uh, I'm just not designed for that. You'll never see me debating eschatology. Okay, ain't gonna happen. Not not in this life. Is that because you're premillennial and wrong? No, okay, I'm good. millennial and right. Okay, but good, I just, good. But I don't. Yeah. I just don't. Uh, Bigger fish. <clears throat> no, no, I just I can't get passionate about the debate. Mm. And uh, I've just seen it produce so much heat and so little light that I just just don't want to go there. I was raised dispensational premillennial, yeah. Uh, so I can you know I can explain why I made the the move that I did and stuff. And I've got I've got posty friends, uh, you know, and I just can't get passionate about that. I've debated real eschatological issues right. such as hell, uh, that type of, of stuff, uh, return of Christ, things like that, but. Those particular issues of the timing, hmm, not not in this life. So I, I've seen it with uh, Roman Catholics, um, Islam, uh, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm -hmm. um, one is Pentecostals. One is Pentecostals. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, then you've got your run-of-the-mill, wild-eyed liberals like uh, John Shelby Spong, uh, John Dominic Crossan, who is uh, you know one of the leading historical Jesus. He's still alive. <clears throat> he is. Oh wow. He is. Marcus Borg has passed away. Okay. But uh, Jim Renahan and I debated those two uh, about ten years ago. But um, you know uh, Bart Ehrman dealing mm -hmm. a lot with text issues, uh, history issues regarding the Bible. Uh, that's the primary primary area of focus. I've done a few atheism debates, but I'll. Some people are really passionate about that. I'm just it's it's hard for me to get really passionate about someone who's you know stuck in their denial of God and yet so obviously lives it, well it's 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 like uh what um Wilson said about um who's the atheist that passed away Hitchens. Yeah. Uh so like what Wilson said about, he's he's certain of two things. God does not exist and he hates him. Yeah. And and it's sort of hard to deal with folks like that. And the people that I have dealt with, Dan Barker, the Freedom from Religion Foundation, we, mm -hmm. I, I would never debate him again. Uh, they are the most litigious folks on the planet. He has more attorneys on, on retainer than than I, I care to even think about. And <clears throat> the the second time we debated, 
uh, I'm just starting my opening presentation based upon his published works on this subject, and he interrupts me and appeals the moderator um, to not allow me to quote his book on this subject. Uh, you just watch the debate. It's, it's just insane. incredible. Uh, and so, yeah, some of the... So that, that's pretty crazy, I mean, just in terms of a, a, how a debate would work. When you are in the midst of debating people from different religious perspectives, uh, who proves to be uh, the most vigorous or uh, challenging opponent in debates? Is there a particular group or is there a particular leader that you say, this guy brings it? Uh, we're obviously, we disagree. This is, these are gospel issues, but he is, he's armed, he's ready, he's got his arguments in line. Well, in, in, in each group, you have different people and you have different levels. Uh, amongst the Muslims, I've, I've done some debates. I, I'm not even sure if I should call them uh, debates against folks. I just should never do that kind of thing, and I would never debate them again. Um, and then you have gradations based upon their understanding. And then I just did a debate uh, with a Muslim friend. Uh, he would consider me a friend. I consider him a friend. Um, one of the only Muslim apologists that I know of that actually listens to what we say tries to accurately represent what we're saying. Um, unfortunately, amongst Muslims, that's almost considered a uh, an act of compromise, in essence. Um, and so you have those different levels. Amongst the Roman Catholics, you have different levels. The, the five debates I've done with Mitch Pacwa, uh, the Jesuit priest, I think they're the best uh, because Mitch doesn't play games. He doesn't play debating games. He's focused on the subject. He's orthodox in what he says, things like that. So we've debated justification, the mass, sola scriptura, the priesthood, and the papacy. And uh, would love to debate him again, uh, but there aren't nearly as many Roman Catholics who want to debate anymore. Uh, we just had a debate fall apart this morning, in fact, uh, with a major Roman Catholic organization because they just don't want to debate Is anymore. Is that for G3? <clears throat> yeah. 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 And uh, so, um, so, you know, people like Bob Sengenis, you know, they, they bring, they're going to be ferocious debaters. They're going to be throwing stuff at you right and left. But it's interesting, they, they don't always, always tend to be the most orthodox. You know, St. Genesis is right on the fringe. I debated, did 13 debates with Jerry Matatix, and he is so far out in the woods now. Uh, but he used to be Catholic Answers' big guy. He was, well, he converted with Scott Hahn, and Matatix um, was the first ordained PCA minister to ever convert to Roman Catholicism. Wow. And so he's, he's a bright guy. Uh, he can talk faster than I can. Um, it's pretty fast. But, yeah, but I think he has gills. He doesn't have to breathe. <laughs> um, but he was, uh, he, was, he, he was John Gerstner's favorite student. Oh, wow. He really hurt Gerstner when he converted. Um, so I've had some real experience with some interesting people uh, down through the years. So um, we're going to, I want to ask you some questions about some current issues uh, for the church. But before we do that, I want to go back in time. When, uh, when did you come to know the Lord? Or uh, when did you come to have a, an assurance of your salvation if you were raised in a very Christian home? Whatever your experience was. Can you tell us a little bit about your story of uh, knowing Christ? Well, I was very young. Um, I was raised in a Christian home. My father was a pastor. My mom played the piano and the organ. And um, I just remember coming home one Sunday afternoon to our, uh, our constant Sunday afternoon meal of uh, my dad's fried chicken, mashed potatoes, and corn. Oh, that was good. In Minnesota, the corn was always just so. Mm. And um, 
telling my parents that uh, I, I wanted to be saved. I didn't want to be punished for my sins. And uh, evidently, whatever the Sunday school lesson had been, it had been fairly, fairly had clear. Had impact, yeah. Um, and uh, that evening, I remember, uh, you know, it was a independent fundamentalist Baptist church. I, I walked the aisle, and uh, I remember my dad picks me up, and I'm looking over his shoulder at my mom crying playing the piano. Um, I remember going home that night and running a figure eight around the two chairs in the front room uh, with joy. And I honestly do believe that even at that extremely young age, I was a little precocious. I was a little bit of an unusual child. Uh, that I was converted um, uh, in the years that, that followed that. I always had a, a sense of of the need to do what was right before the Lord. And uh, in fourth grade, uh, my teacher sent me the principal for passing out Jack Chick tracks on the playground. Um, Good Jack trick. <laughs> well, what what else was there back then? You know, uh, you had Holy Joe, and this was your life. That was pretty much uh, pretty much it. And and she sent me to the principal's office for passing him out. So I walked into the principal's office, walked up to him, and handed him one, too. So, uh, <laughs> From the very beginning. And, and right around the same time, she took me to work once. Uh, she worked at a print shop out front. And uh, she looked around for me, couldn't find me, and went, went in the back and found me amongst the pressmen, uh, arguing about the existence of God with him at, at age nine. And I remember that. They were huge. They were just like these mountains that I was talking to. So evidently, apologetics was sort of something that I was... Uh, it was just part of part of me, and uh, uh, in in high school, I, I had a period of time where there was some rebellion, and you wouldn't have re- really recognized me as a Christian. But most of my high school years um, had a Bible on top of my books. I was known as Billy Graham White, and uh, when I graduated, I was class valedictorian. So, and both junior high school and high school, and uh, gave a testimony to the gospel in my my speeches, uh, which you couldn't get away with for anything anymore, but. Uh, so, yeah, uh, but I never, actually, to be honest with you, I had made a, I had made a commitment to never go into pastoral ministry uh, because I had seen how my dad had been treated by Christians. And I said, that's one thing I'm never going to do. And uh, I wanted to go to the Air Force Academy. And so that's why I had you know, no Bs in high school or anything like that. And, uh, and then the Lord got hold of me and uh, uh, changed that perspective. And, but I still had... Nobody, nobody in those circles knew what apologetics was or anything like that. So it was uh, a, a complete revelation to me that that whole field existed. Wow. That's cool. I love how God set you apart for this. I mean, he does that even before we're born, right? He sets us apart for our callings, but then to see it bubble up to the surface so early is really cool. All right. So today, um, if we're talking about apologetics, let's, let's start with maybe a, a basic definition so that people know what we mean when we say uh, that you are a professional apologist, or we're going to talk about apologetics. What is that? Well, the classical definition is giving a reasoned defense of the faith. That's what an apologia is. Um, really, today, it is, uh, it's, it's an element of evangelism. When you're preaching the gospel in a culture that it has become religiously dogmatic in its secular atheism, uh, its humanism, uh, then there's going to be automatic objections to the idea not only of a creator, but that we're made in the image of God, that therefore we have a responsibility for God, that God has a law, that he can speak, that he can speak with clarity, uh, any of these types of things, fundamental objections that are just now part of the mindset of the people to whom we're speaking. And so to make the gospel message understandable within that context, 
this is my, my, my great grandparents did not have to worry about the things we have to worry about today. Um, they did not have to concern themselves with a secular mindset that just warps every element of the proclamation of the gospel. You could so, start at a pretty basic level you could, and go right, right in. And there was a lot of assumed, there was a lot of common ground uh, in, in the society that is, has Shared been washed away. Yeah, has been washed away over the past number of decades, especially at a very high, rapid rate of speed. So um, apologetics now, I think, is just an absolutely necessary element of doing evangelism, but unfortunately, we're way behind the way behind the curve uh, because it's not something that is a part of of the seminary uh, preparation. It needs to be, but oh, churches it, it don't even talk about it no, really. No. And you you really got into this at the conference here, uh, which was really really good. Um, you were, and maybe you could explain this a little bit. Um, that we we have separated apologetics from evangelism, and we we treat them differently. Uh, but you're saying no, they are they are necessarily intertwined together. Just explain why that is, so our people understand. Well, you know, uh, apologetics isn't a field unto it. It should not be a field unto itself because if you say to a general, I I, I have to be a little bit careful. Um, what generals I use when I do this. Normally when I say, you know, if you, if you were to say to the greatest general America ever produced, Robert E. Lee, and that gets, gets you really in trouble right. yeah. anymore, even if it's a historical reality yeah. and a fact. But if you ever said to, to General Lee, defend, General Lee's first response is going to be, defend what, where. Uh, the defense is going to be dependent upon what it is you're defending. And if we're defending the gospel, then we need to know what the gospel is. We need to know what the outlines are. What are the issues that are going to be under attack? What are the approaches that are going to be taken? So on and so forth. And so I believe our theology determines our apologetic, not the other way around. Every time an apologist uh, creates a system and then alters theology to fit, it ends up being heretical or subbiblical or harmful to the church or whatever else. And um, so uh, that's why I say they're, they're absolutely intimately related. And the more uh, contradictory and anti-theistic and anti-Christian the society is in which you're, you're seeking to speak the gospel, the more apologetics is going to be absolutely necessary. So today, um, as Christians, we're called to bear witness. Um, we're, we're, we're called to testify uh, to, about uh, Christ, the gospel, uh, the whole thing. What are the biggest dangers uh, for the church? What are the biggest dangers that we're facing uh, inside the church, or at least from within the so-called church, right, among professing Christians? What's the biggest danger there, and what's the biggest danger from outside the church that we're dealing with? Well, uh, outside, I, I don't think it's some of the big things that people name, like Islam or something like that. Um, I think outside, it really is uh, secularism. I really think in, the, in Western uh, cultures, I, I, I see a rise in totalitarianism in the, in the minds of people. It's absolutely frightening. Um, and so it's, it's, you know, secularism has no morals. Uh, it's all derived from whatever the secularist wants to do. And I think that's the greatest challenge that we're facing uh, from outside. Inside, it's, um, we agreed on the panel uh, yesterday on this particular subject, and that was that um, specifically a collapse in the view of Scripture. Uh, if, we, if we believe that God has spoken, we believe God has spoken with clarity, if we have the uh, we are Christ's sheep, we hear his voice uh, element in our thinking, then 
uh, we're going to remain firm and we're going to have a consistency in how we respond to the world. In so many of our schools uh, today, even formerly conservative schools, uh, the idea of cutting the Bible up into pieces, of putting uh, Paul against Peter and Paul against James, and it's supposed to be so cutting edge and so wonderful, and uh, the result is is a complete uh, collapse of the idea of having authority in the proclamation of the gospel and having any certainty at all. Um, I've, I've said many times, if you don't have the highest view of Scripture, there's no reason to be a Trinitarian. There's no reason to believe in the deity of Christ. There's no reason to be Reformed. Uh, well, explain that, because like the first step seems to be uh, a denial of, uh, of inerrancy or a, a high view of Scripture um, while maintaining the traditional Orthodox theology. Why does, why does the corruption in our view of Scripture uh, eventually impact the, the essence of orthodoxy? Well, people may maintain as a historical tradition a commitment to creeds, but the only function a creed has is to summarize what God has actually revealed to be true. And if you no longer believe that God has revealed anything to be true, then that creed simply becomes, well, this is my preferred historical statement, and I interpret it as I want uh, the idea that, that there was a virgin birth or that, you know, that Jesus was really the God-man or stuff like that. I don't believe any of that, uh, but it, it, it makes me warm inside to repeat these ancient words. Well, that's, that's not what the creeds were about. That's not what the essence of the Christian faith is. And so they kind of point back to it as like, well, that's where we came from. Right. But we're, we've yeah. made some progress. Right. This, whole, this so holds primitive. us all together. I'm not sure how it holds anybody together if you don't believe you it don't anymore. If you don't believe it. So you see this in the PCUSA, right. um, you know, where they're, they're referring to God. Some within the PCUSA are able to refer to God as he or she. Um, I've seen certain PCUSA churches do some bizarre cultic-like things. Uh, oh, I was, uh, I was running a TV camera at a PCUSA National Synod in Phoenix at the convention center about, this is, this is probably a solid 20 years ago. Is this Sophia? Well, uh, and, and what they did is they had these people standing at the points of the compass, um, and they, they did have an, a Native American uh, Indian guy do a, some type of invocation of the okay. spirits and stuff like wow. that. Um, but then they had all these people at, these, at the compass points, and even that long ago, they were going, God bless us, gay and straight, bisexual, cisgender, whatever. And uh, this was just over 20 years ago. And I remember <laughs> we had these headsets, and we could talk to each other. No one else could hear us. And I remember sort of sneaking my hand down and going, okay, when the roof falls in, dive under your cameras. They might hold up, you know, <laughs> something, something like that. So it's, it's, been, it's been a long time coming. Um, we, we think it's all happened in the past few years, but uh, the, the foundations were, were crumbling for a long time. So the, the big issue um, seems to be, and would you say then, the, the, the primary issue uh, that Christians uh, are dealing with among religious Christian, I don't know, what would you call that? If we're talking about people that are in this Christian tradition, but not right. not evangelical or orthodox. Some type of dying Christendom. All right, so it is, it is the, what, what's necessary, what we need is a robust um, doctrine of Scripture. We need to understand. We need to have confidence that God's actually spoken and that, and that there is a, a, 
a, a divine truth that is contained in the body of Scripture as Scripture. That's what's bugged me so much about Andy Stanley and his statement, don't say the Bible says, uh, say John said this or Paul said this. That atomizes the authority issue. And, it, said, and it, it takes away from the fact that there is a divine truth in the entirety of Scripture. And Jesus was the one who said, the Scriptures say, the Scriptures say. Um, he didn't say, well, Moses said this, and eventually it was canonized, and therefore it became authoritative because it was recognized by the body of believers, blah, 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 blah. Um, but Jesus wasn't talking to uh, upper middle class uh, people in And that uh, would be the argument that they would <laughs> Alabama, that, that Georgia? Would, uh, Where are they at? Uh, that, yeah, Georgia. That would be the that would be the argument that he would make. Yeah. I, I I get it. But I think he's just when he, when he says we need to stop talking about the Bible and start talking about the resurrection, that is a disjunction that is absolutely in, incredibly difficult to understand. In fact, I don't think you can understand. I don't think he understands it. Uh, because what he means by the resurrection, the fact of the resurrection, the meaning of the resurrection, that's all based upon a view of Scripture that allows Scripture to define those things for us. So I didn't, I didn't uh, hear the whole thing that you know in, in, in its context, but I, I, I heard the statement. Um, and even if he's simply saying, I'm trying to like if I could put the best spin on it, right? He's saying, all right, listen, uh, people are not going to respond to you, and you're saying, well, the Bible says this. So instead, show them that the Bible is made up of different authors at different times, sort of a biblical theology idea. Um, but in the end, you're not going to fool them, right? They're going to know you're you're talking about that old Bible, right? This is why would this why would that make a difference? He certainly is an incrementalist, and so his idea of the church, for example, is significantly different than the New Testament concept. And so, um, you know, he was very proud in an interview uh, with Doctor Moore about the fact that he had an atheist uh, attending his church that now considers herself a member of the church, even though she's an atheist. And so the idea of the, the body of Christ uh, bound together by a common faith in Christ in submission to the Lordship of Christ, you got to understand, theology matters. Yeah. And Andy Stanley has always rejected Lordship salvation. And so he's one of Norm Geisler's uh, okay. favorite students. Well, I, is, I, that's how unfamiliar I am. I didn't know that, uh, that he was a uh, free grace guy. Yeah, so yeah. That's, that's, that's interesting. And it kind of reminds me, something that you were talking about during the conference, uh, you hit it really hard uh, in terms of classic apologetics and, um, and presuppositionalism, that uh, it's not a win to move somebody from an atheist to uh, a deist or a theist uh, right. if they don't embrace Jesus. It's, it's not a win for them to make moral reformations. It's, it's, it's a lateral move in hell. It doesn't, it doesn't, you didn't say it that way, but that's, that's ultimately what it is, right? That would have been a good way to put it. I'm not quite as good at uh, as those things as you are, but uh, it, it is sad to see so many apologists today thinking that uh, bringing someone from atheism to a vague deism has somehow been a great victory for the Christian church or something. Can't that even inoculate them in a sense to, yeah, like, to, exactly. to go any further? Exactly, exactly. Like, well, I'm good now. Right. I'm down with God. Exactly. That's, that's my, my understanding as well. And that's, I, again, I have to look at the apostles. They dismiss the apostles as having any relevance as models because they, the apostles were not interacting with the secular world. Uh, so they would say, well, they're all theists, so we can't really a- allow them to... Um, be our models in that way. But I think they're missing some of the... Well, it's, again, it goes back to theology. It goes back to what conversion is. And if you have a sub-biblical view of that, you're going to end up having a sub-biblical view in regards to uh, these issues as well. What, um, 
right, so we're talking about scripture, and one of the things that's always fun to talk about, especially like, so I hang out at a local cigar shop. Everybody knows this, that Jimmy and I spend a lot of time there. Uh, we do evangelism there. We do our work there. Pastor Pat's there. Like a bunch of our people from the church. Yeah, I can smell place. it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I, no, listen, I can't. Uh, no? I'm, I was well, lying. I haven't had a cigar in a couple of days because I'm in New Zealand, and I, I brought a bunch, and I gave them to Michael Beck. Um, but... So we go there and we hang out, and then from time to time, this very question will come up. They'll want to know, like, so the Bible is, like, I mean, it's, how do you, can you trust? I mean, isn't that just the, like, has it been corrupted? I mean, like, it was written so long ago, you don't have the originals. Some of them even know that. Like, we know you don't have the originals. So how can you trust that this is even what Paul would have said or what Jesus would have said? You can't possibly, we can't possibly trust this book. It's always a fun conversation. If... Um, if you were going to kind of encourage people to, um, to move into understanding why the Bible is, uh, you know, a, a trustworthy document um, historically, uh, what would you say to them? And what, could, where might, what, might, what is something that they might be able to read that would help them in this way? Not that that persuades anybody that it's the Word of God, but it's an, it's, I think it's, it's a pretty fascinating and compelling uh, argument when you compare, you know, what we have of the New Testament compared to what we have of other classic yeah, literature. Yeah, that's a particularly hard area because, unfortunately, the objection is based upon ignorance. Uh, very few people, Christian or non-Christian, have any earthly idea how ancient documents were transmitted, um, and so generally they're just refer, they're just you know, repeating something they read on the internet and have no idea whether it's it's sound or not. And even if you started to explain, well, in reality, we have over 5,717 uh, portions of the uh, Greek New Testament. It was written in the Greek language. Sometimes I don't even know that. Um, and, uh, you know, talk about how early the attestation is, how wide the attestation is. You, you start getting a, you know, glazed look, even from Christians at that point. I'm and sorry, so, what were you saying? Yeah, exactly. And it's, and it's a real challenge. Uh, it, it really, really is. And so... Um, it depends on how serious the, the individual is as to what I would as I, what I would say to them. I would, you know, if it was a short conversation, I would say, well, you know, uh, I have the advantage, obviously. I said, you know, I've taught this subject for many, many years. Um, I've translated many of the earliest papyri and collated manuscripts, and I have have on my phone, you know, a massive amount of textual data, and I can tell you without any question uh, that the New Testament is the uh, most widely and earliest attested of all ancient documents. And in fact, if you're going to question its validity, then you're going to have to uh, question even more deeply the validity of all you know about history. Because if you're going to be skeptical about this, then you need to really throw out everything about all the Caesars and everything else because right. you don't have any leg to stand on. Because uh, so in layman's terms, there are more and older copies of these new pieces of the New Testament than there are of any other right. ancient literature. The, the closest it comes is Homer's. Uh, Homer's works okay. uh, has has a lot of papyri, um, but of the works written contemporaneously with the New Testament, the average time period between when it was written and our first extant copy is between five and nine hundred years. Um, and some of them, like Plato, we only have seven to twelve copies. Yeah. Uh, and that's understandable if you ever tried to read Plato. Um, but um, uh, for the New Testament, you're, you're talking about a time period of only 100 to 125 years. And you're talking about um, just having uh, hundreds of, of copies within the first few centuries, which no other work of antiquity even comes close to. And th the, other, the other thing, though, is if, if I can, you know, I could address people to videos that I've done. Yeah. I, I did a... Uh, 
my probably most popular presentation is the, the New Testament documents. Are they reliable? And I did one at uh, Trinity Law School a number of years ago, which is available on, on YouTube. Um, and I just did in Australia. That was one of my presentations at the apologetics conference there, a different form of that same type of presentation. I can point them to stuff like that. And if I've piqued their interest, maybe they'll actually look it up on YouTube and they'd be able to look at some of these things. Or the debate with Bart Ehrman yeah. uh, on the subject, things like that. Um, but it, it, it is one of the hardest things because they're making a claim in a field where they don't have any background right. information. And maybe it's just getting them to recognize, you know, are you sure about what you're saying? Yeah. And, and why are you saying it? Yeah. Um, Did you watch the zeitgeist? Exactly. The movie? Exactly. Yeah, that's what exactly. they're doing. That's exactly what they're doing. Yeah. And it, it is a... It's a real challenge, and you know I have an advantage there, but I try to help other people right. to sort of have uh, an answer as well. Okay, so just a word of encouragement for people. Let's say um, you know, like they're they are believers, they're in the world, and they feel they're scared. Like there's, I, I talk to a lot of Christians, and they're they're just they're nervous about being a Christian um, in a, a culture that's increasingly hostile. Or they, um, there's so many views out there. I've heard from Christians say, well, there's so many views out there. And I, you know, Jen Hatmaker just came out and said this. And um, this, this, this famous teacher came out and said this. But I've, how am I supposed to know? What words of encouragement would you give to people that find themselves somewhat confused, somewhat overwhelmed, and maybe they're not in a local church that's really strong theologically. What, what well, would you say that, to that? You know, that's, that's one of the first things is I've known people who have moved so they could be in a, yep. in a strong local church. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's a much higher level priority than most people make mm -hmm. it. Um, you know, uh, I, I think it's more important than the neighborhood you live in mm -hmm. uh, and things sure. like that. So that, that would be the first thing I'd probably mention is, is the necessity of, of considering uh, that so you can get the kind of teaching and the kind of grounding that you need because – there are difficult times coming, and uh, and yet, you know, the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, uh, God has not given us a spirit of timidity but of, or fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And that was being written to a guy who's going to be ministering in a large church in a situation where there's going to be a lot of persecution. Yeah. And in fact, in just a couple decades, there's going to be uh, resisting unto blood. Um, and so when someone says, you know, I'm, I'm scared, uh, I, I want to ask, well, you know, who's who's your ultimate authority and what are you scared of the world can't the world can touch your body it can touch all your stuff but it can't can't touch your soul so you need to be focused upon what's what's most important here uh, the people that should be scared are the people of the world i mean i see a period of severe destabilization uh coming on in this world and uh, if we don't see if we don't see mushroom clouds uh, i'll be really surprised and that first one goes off watch the economic situation in, in most places to simply collapse and it's going to change everything that sounds really scary yeah, i realize that but well that, but listen this is what jesus said would be like there like if the persecution is going to increase there's going to be wars and it's all the more reason why we need to know Christ and to have our hearts, you know, firmly knit with his so that he is our greatest treasure. So that, like you said, the world, like, do not fear him who can destroy the body. You know, we fear the Lord. And uh, so they can take everything away, but nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not a thing. And if that's the highest treasure, then we're, um, we're ready to persevere. All right. So thank you for making the time. Uh, where can people find 
Dr. White. Now, pretty much everybody's going to know who you are on our podcast, I'm guessing. But just in case, there's a couple of people that are noobs to to the interwebs and all of that. Where do they find you? Well, aomin.org, aomin.org is our our website and uh, links there to the uh, Dividing Line webcast that I do uh, and uh, to our YouTube channels. Who knows how long we'll be able to have those. Uh, But right now there's, I don't know, 800, 900 videos up there on all sorts of things. Um, and uh, that's that's primary how they get to us. If they if they ever make the internet go away, well, no one will ever find us again. So that's sort of how it works. Well, it'll be like uh, it'll be like thirty years ago. It will be, starting, but so. we were but we hated doing newsletters back then too. Yeah. So <laughs> great. And uh, well, can you give a shout out to uh, your daughter's podcast? My oh, wife, yeah. my wife loves Summer's podcast. Yeah, I just saw an, a notification come across my phone that. Uh, She's Are you on posted, your phone? Uh, that's something. Well, I saw you You're playing on your with phone? yours. Jimmy does this every time we're on the podcast. Jimmy's playing with his phone. And I wasn't playing, playing with my phone. It he's just play, James is the playing screen, with his phone. The screen turns while we're on to do the podcast, and it says he's Summer White the- shared Sheologian's post. So there, she just posted something. So. <laughs> Yeah, this is she, make Jimmy and, she, so she and her friend uh, Joy have are doing this. Is it Joy just, Behar? Who is that? No, no. Uh, are doing uh, the Sheologians, which means they study Sheol. Uh, oh, wow. And, That's uh, so every narrow focus. Every single <laughs> podcast is about Sheol, and uh, she's the only person who can say Sheol properly. Uh, but no. Uh, obviously, it's a play on things, and it's yeah. a women's take on things, and uh, she's already gotten into all sorts of interesting conversations I have noticed. with um, people I won't even mention because then they go crazy and accuse Summer and I of starting a cult in Arizona. Yeah, and stuff yeah, like you're that, a compound so. cult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've heard about you. <laughs> That's pretty wild. Right, but I've always said Summer's me in a female body, which makes her a very interesting combination. Uh, my, my wife stopped arguing with her when she was nine. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So yeah. it's sheologians.com. Com. Mm-hmm. Okay, so mm-hmm. sheologians.com. Right. Go and check that out. Hit aomin.org mm-hmm. for more. And listen, guys, if you haven't watched uh, some of the debates of uh, that James has, has been in on YouTube, watch one. It, it's, it's not a, a TV show, okay? So there's, there's no like, little commercial breaks. It's not 25 no. minutes. It's an hour to two hours. But it, it's like a seminary class. You will learn. It is so good. So well, some of them are. Well, some of them are terrible. Some, some, them, some, some are just like, really? They're very entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> some yeah. people don't show up, but they show up. Like they're there, but they're not there. They're did, you, like, did you see the one I did in Southern California a few weeks ago that I called a non-debate on? No, I didn't see it. It was Steve Tassie. On, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I'm going to check it out. <laughs> oh, my. It's it painful. Very, very oh, painful. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah. So be sure and, and check those out. And uh, James, thanks so much for, hey, for being great on. Hey, great to be with you. I told you. It was good. That was good. I told you. That was fantastic. And, um, and so it, this, was, this was a lot of fun. I hope that's encouraging to you. Uh, we want you guys to go and check out aomin.org. Yeah. Uh, that's the Alpha and Omega Ministries website. There you can find you know, the, the resources, the books, the webcast. That's what he calls it. It's a webcast. Webcast. Um, and you know, James is super interactive online. Like He yeah. is high highly interactive he's all up I, mean, I don't know how he keeps up with all that but he does yeah no and he doesn't have like like assistants doing it for him like he's doing it and i made the joke about him being old and out of touch uh earlier in the week you know he doesn't know what a podcast is i mean i'm just kidding because he's really like he is on it and he is all over this stuff so um be sure and do that you can follow him on twitter and on instagram he is uh, o- Dr. Oakley. Dr. Oakley 1689. 1689. No underscores or anything. Just D 
D-R-O-A-K-L-E-Y. Now, is that because he likes Oakley glasses? It's got to be. It's, it's a bicycle be. thing. Yeah, I it's, think it's, so. It's, he's got the special ones when he's riding his bike so he can right, right. He could see, but it's also got the, the sun. What right. is it? The, the, what do you call it? They shaded. They sh- I don't know. Per- like, blue progressives. They're like blue, blue blocker. Blue, blue blockers. Wait, blue blockers? Blue blockers. You're too young for the blue blockers? Know, what is that? Oh, I'm going to put the blue blocker commercial on, on the show oh, notes. Don't do that. That's it, a waste no, of good. time. That's a waste of time. No, it's cool. It's a waste of time. Um, so, yeah. By the way, man, uh, White, mm-hmm. that guy, um, like he was working out whenever. So we would be at the conference or we would be eating and hanging out or he'd be working out. So that was it. It was working out, hanging out, and, and teaching. That was it. it, it That's it. I would see him every morning drenched in sweat. He had just ridden his bike. He'd be um, uh, doing the rowing machine or running or whatever, and he would be like just covered in sweat, coming in from outside. Walking Did you try to hotel. join him? No, nah, I ain't doing that. Why not? Why not? Why? You could have had a good moment with him. Like, hey, Doctor White, can I? First of exercise all, with I you? couldn't keep up with him. He's like, uh, he's like, yeah, but it's about the experience, not necessarily about the result. No, but I couldn't even. Keep up with him. He's like RoboCop. He even looks like RoboCop. I couldn't keep up he with do, him. You know what? He, he does, does look like, look like he, he does look like him. So um, does that mean he's going to get... Oh, that's mean, Joe. What? Well, Ro- RoboCop, like the guy, the, the policeman gets shot and he gets... But he gets put back together as, a, as like a super machine. Yeah, but he's not like that's himself. Like no, he's not. Oh, no. The guy, the, he's a cyborg then. You're yeah, saying he's James a cyborg. Is a cyborg. How else do you explain white? Cyborg. You know what? You're That's right. He's all over. So, he's all yeah. over social media. He's Gotta all be. over the webcast. Yep. He's all over reading. He understands everything. He can articulate everything well. See, all right. cyborg. So cyborg, you you were wrong, and I was right. Uh, in this case, yes. yes. In this case, again, you were right. I want to clarify that that you all were right. right. Doctor White is a cyborg. All right. So um, be sure and follow RoboCop on Instagram and Twitter, and check out his. His blog, and tell him that you want him to come back on the podcast. That'll yeah. be fun. We'll do it again. We'll he do it again. He travels all over. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. We have Fresh Pod coming out every Monday and Thursday. Big thanks to Justin Bond of J Bond Media, Ooh. the audiovisual wizard. If you've got any audiovisual photo needs, hit up jbondmedia.com and he will hook you up. You can leave us an honest five star review at iTunes or any of the other podcast platforms. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Doc and Devo and Facebook slash Doctrine and Devotion. Head on over to our website, DoctrineandDevotion.com. Click on the Contact Us page and you can go ahead and leave us your comment with your ideas and your suggestions and you can tell a friend. That's right. This is something that's been edifying, encouraging, and it's worthwhile. Share it with those around you. Sounds good, man. Later. Later.